This is the Education Gadfly Show. It was something like that. Okay, that sounded like Yoko Ono. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrelli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You hear the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Icelandic soccer announcer of education reform. Robert Pondicio. Does that mean I'm a part-time dentist? Oh, no, that was the, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the manager. Yeah. Did, did you get to hear the Icelandic no, soccer announcer? Actually, oh my God, no. it's great. I mean, it has something to do with Icelandic, I assume. But I mean, consider like, you know how excited soccer announcers regularly yeah, get. And sure. then combine that with a language that sounds totally bizarre. And, and there's like, only 300,000 people who speak no, I got to be careful. I don't want to scream in the microphone here and hurt okay, everybody's fine. phones and ears. But there was something like, it was something like that. Okay, that sounded like Yoko Ono. And, uh, and this is amazing, though. Iceland beats England to advance to the quarterfinals of the European Cup, uh, a country of 300,000 people. I kind of This has been a bad week for Britain, right? It has not been a great week. Uh, they always come in threes. Yeah. What's next? Although, look, uh, well, we won't talk about Brexit. I am sympathetic to some of the Brexit arguments. I'm totally right? sympathetic These to bureaucrats it. in Brussels. I mean, who likes Brussels? Brussels bureaucrats. Nobody, uh, nobody Belgium bureaucrats. Ah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think some of the parallels between that and, and what's going on in our own country oh, with yes. this, uh, what's his name again? The oh, guys we're not going to talk about. We're yeah, not, yeah, we, we, but, look, but, he's not on the list today. We don't have to not, talk about okay, him. Do not bring mind. him up. Don't get me started. <laughs> okay. But we got other stuff to talk about. We do. Because education reform keeps on trucking. I'd rather talk about soccer. <sighs> All right, Clara, let's play. Pardon the gadfly. Fordham recently released a study on the implementation of common core math. What were some of the key findings? Were they surprising? So uh, this was a survey of teachers around the country, grades Mm -hmm. K to eight, nationally representative. Uh, On the one hand, a lot of this was actually quite encouraging and positive. The teachers seem to like common core math, unlike parents, of course. uh, And they also know common core math. We did this thing. We did this similarly a few years ago with the English language arts study. We we told them, all right, you tell us what grade you're in. And then now we're going to list a bunch of topics and you tell us if you're so to teach those topics in your grade. Yeah. And they got it. They, they were really good at this. And, and there were confounders, as it were. And they, there, there, were, well, there right. were decoys. Right. And some of this is kind of subtle stuff. Sure. I mean, some of it's easy, but some of it's kind of subtle. And they, they generally got it right. So they they have a very strong sense of what's in the standards. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they are optimistic that the standards are going to help kids do better in advanced math, compete, and all of that. But here are some of the more, I guess, negative findings. First of all, the, the middle school teachers were not as optimistic, mm-hmm. uh, more frustrated, saying kids are coming in not well-prepared or not not knowing their arithmetic uh, and uh, just generally uh, being frustrated with not knowing how to help kids who are well below grade level. Right. Well, now these the, kids that are hitting middle school have not yet gone through common core math sure, from the beginning. Just so what I was it say. could be a transition problem. Yeah. It's also the case that, you know, the middle school teachers, these are math teachers. They are not right. elementary school teachers. Right. Maybe they are just a bunch of meanies. No, well, those I mean, nice, you know, nice. If you are teachers. a subject specialist teacher, the middle school level, and and kids come in without the requisite skills and knowledge, your job is just harder. Period. Yep. Full stop. Right. Right. So uh, here, here's one of the things that, that came out. Oh, for a couple things. One is there still does seem to be some confusion, maybe around the arithmetic oh, piece, the yes, math or stuff. Thing I circled that, and that really kind of irritated me. Well, look, I mean, 
what everybody has paid attention to is that the standards put a big focus on conceptual understanding, right. multiple methods to solve problems, writing, you know, to explain how you got to the answer, yep, yep, yep. Uh, which is in there for sure. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, traditional stuff is in there also. So sure. in the early grades, you are supposed to know your math facts and multiplication tables by automaticity. There you go. That was just the word I was going to use. Math is a lot easier when you know your math facts. So. You know, but, uh, but for whatever reason, we don't, the teachers didn't talk about that as much. And so the, the worrying thing is, do they know it's in there or do they just take it for granted because that's not as new? I don't know. Here's a big question for you, Robert. Okay. Uh, the, the teacher said, look, overwhelmingly parents and many kids are frustrated they don't get it with why they have to, you know, be able to show that they can solve this problem multiple ways. Sure. They just want to get the answer and show that they can get the answer in one way. Yeah. Uh, and though the teachers buy into this, they they get it why this is important. They're having a really hard time getting buy-in from parents and from kids. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you, you know as well as anybody that Common Core has been demagogued and and whatnot, and it's very very easy to lampoon all this stuff. We've all seen the segments with the the silly math problems, and oh, this is Common Core math, and isn't mm-hmm. it terrible? Look, I, I just don't know any teacher worth his or her salt who doesn't think that it's important for kids, maybe not to do multiple measure or multiple ways of solving the same problem. But if you can't explain how you got your answer, if you can't justify mm-hmm. it, you just don't know the math. So one idea that's come up is to say, look, we should we should do that sort of newer stuff, mm-hmm. the multiple methods stuff in class where there's a teacher who's been well trained on how to help right. it. But the homework that gets sent home, that should just be about practicing arithmetic. Maybe. Do your times tables, you know, do your math facts that uh, that's the kind of stuff parents can help with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that, what do you think? Is that, I mean, as you were a fifth grade teacher, would you have done something you know, like that? This is, I taught fifth grade pre-common core, but uh, one standard thing in my homework, every, literally every night, 180 nights a year was my students would do word problems. And there was a five-step process that I, you know, I just stole from, I can't remember where, but step five was always, does your answer make sense? Mm-hmm. And they had a right, you know, explain why their answer made sense or why it didn't. There was nothing intrinsically about that, uh, that or that, that a parent could not yeah. help out with. Uh, but look at the middle school. Uh, look, I, I'm in education. I haven't been able to help my daughter with her math homework since she was in middle school. Yeah. So it shouldn't surprise anybody uh, that if your kid is doing advanced math, then, then it's going to be beyond the, the the skill level of your average parent. I've been meaning to talk to you about the arithmetic I see on your expense reports, oh, by yeah, the way, Robert. That's true. All right. Topic that's number that, two. That's creative accounting, Mike. Mm-hmm. NPR came out with a controversial piece on rocket ship charter schools last week. Were they unfair in their coverage of this popular <laughs> charter network? Yeah. Next question. Uh, yes. Oh my goodness. This was a yeah. long and huge takedown, uh, but man, not exactly fair and balanced. And I don't mean that in the sarcastic Fox News way. No, no, no. Not fair and balanced. And uh, you and a lot of other people, Alexander Russo, most notably Richard Whitmire, who wrote a book about uh, rocket ship, have kind of had their wicked way with uh, Anya Kamenetz of NPR on Twitter over this. And, and you know, I, look, I, I'm sympathetic on the one hand. I write a lot. You write a lot about education. I, I love doing reporting, even though I'm not a reporter. So um, you just can't do a big takedown criticizing a school's uh, classroom procedures it's and, and whatnot and not visit the school and that's what's come out two days later is that she never even uh, visited set foot in a rocket ship mm-hmm. school you, know, you can write about uh, I, I write about schools all the time that I don't visit but if you're going to do a big expose you yeah. got to show up <laughs> So here's where I struggle is when you're talking about schools of choice, okay, mm-hmm. charter Thank schools, you. right, to private schools. My 
instinct is usually to give them the benefit of the doubt also, yeah. right? I mean, maybe this is because I'm mostly a policy guy, so yeah. I feel like I don't want to second-guess educators. If they're getting good results, yeah. my view is I'm a choice realist and that in this camp, you say, look, if you're getting good results in terms of student learning, ideally in long-term outcomes too for those kids, uh, you know, I don't really care what's inside the black box of your school. Well, that's where I'm going to disagree I mean, with you. You know, within reason, I mean, obviously, and you know, you don't want to be abusing children, sure. or, you know, but look, if you're using methods that may look uh, unorthodox to me. Hey, who am I to judge if parents like it and right. it's getting results? Well, the irony is I'm not exactly a huge rocket ship fan, I have to say. I've got some questions about blended learning. I mean, I, you know, I can't quibble with their results. If if her thesis, if the question was, is this the right way to keep score? Is this the metric that we want? Let's get those threes and fours on math mm-hmm. and English tests. That's a legitimate sure. question. Sure. This is a, a smaller concern, but what is it with with charter school takedowns and bathrooms? Have you noticed this? I mean, well, I don't explain, know explain. Well, explain. First, you had Kate Taylor's Success Academy thing about kids wetting themselves, and now yep. you've got Anya's story about rockets about kids wetting themselves. I, I was just I, I, look. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just curious about this. So I actually Googled this. It turns out that three or four percent of kids between the ages of four and twelve have problems. Uh, with, I can't remember the, the phrase, diurnal, so basically mm-hmm. daytime wedding. So in other words, is this a charter thing or is this a kid thing? Oh, I don't know, but I have some bad memories from uh, being at the the plate and baseball at year, five years old and, and wetting right? my pants. So I, you know, but, uh, and there's other stories like I, that I don't as well. I guess I was one of those kids. Yeah, I don't mean to make light of it, but I've never seen that question asked. I mean, yeah. I, I, I taught elementary school. Yeah, yeah. Kids have accidents. Yeah. Why all of a sudden, what, what's this obsession with thinking, oh, this is a high-pressure charter thing? Yeah. It's a kid thing. Yeah. Look, uh, uh, you know, the charter conference is going on this week. John King is bringing up discipline again. We got to yeah. think, rethink the way or do we do discipline last year? It was, we shouldn't be backfilling. I'm just worried that all of this is about uh, second guessing charter schools. And by the way, folks, we're supposed to believe in autonomy. Yeah. And why do we think traditional public schools have such a hard time innovating and doing things differently? It is because we have second guessed them to death. Can we please and, hear uh, you from know, parents about this? Uh, you know, that we, why, why don't we think this is a, a, going to happen in the charter sector? Well, look, this is one of the other things, and then I'll, I promise I'll stop beating up on Anya, who I don't know, and you know she's done some good work. But if you're going to do a big piece about rocket ship, can we also, it's, it's not complete unless you're talking about the conditions in the schools that these kids would have gone yep, to that's if right. it were not for rocket ship. You can't look at this in isolation. Topic number three. School is out for summer, but for some students, the learning doesn't stop in June. How can we counteract the widening of the achievement gap that often occurs during the summer months? School's out for summer. Oh, Alice Who is Cooper. that? That's Alice oh, Cooper. Alice Cooper. 1974. Come of on, course, dude. Robert would know that. Wow. <laughs> Font of all useless knowledge. Well, actually, no, I was more referring to your age. But, but you yeah. know what? That's actually a good segue. That so-called useless knowledge. Yeah. Uh, remember Don Hirsch? Remember mm-hmm. cultural literacy? Why don't uh, affluent kids uh, have a summer slide? Because they are growing up in basically a rich linguistic cultural stew that backfills all the knowledge Mm -hmm. that the language reflects. Yeah. And look, this is, I'm going to be writing something soon about uh, what what I'm going to propose enrichment savings accounts. I like this idea. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, look, you know, I think we have made some progress in making sure sure that poor kids get to go to schools that are more similar than they used to be to the schools that rich kids get to go. Sure. Right. Uh, And we got more work to do on that front, but, but you know, you look at them and, and they're, you know, our kids' experiences from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., 180 days a year, are somewhat similar. But 
go beyond that. And the experiences of poor kids versus rich kids is dramatically different. Right. I mean, you, you, there's just more and more data. The affluent kids in the summer are doing a bazillion. They're doing all You're kinds of camps. They're museums, doing, you, you know, it's, to, it's like, right. you know, the, the really rich kids are going to, you know, sleepaway camps for, yes, in other countries. The, right. the not so rich kids are still doing day yeah. camps that are expensive, but are, you know, on a whole variety of things, you know, not always academic, but even if it's just a sports camp, it's teaching non-cognitive skills. It's teaching teamwork. But it's beyond, teaching grit. beyond skills, Mike, this is the thing I've, you know, you know what I'm going to say. I've talked about this for 15 years now. Um, you have to remember that that reading and language is not just about 26 letters right, right, and, right. and the skill, the so-called skill of reading. It is a reflection of your kind of mental furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But what's happening in the summer? Right, do you think that the affluent kids are reading in the summer? Is that it's what you're saying? Or you're saying that they're there. just around adults who are using it, complex it, language and vocabulary? It, it's even more subtle than that. You know, what I always like to say is that math is hierarchical, language is cumulative. In other words, math is a school-based subject. First, you learn to count, then add and subtract, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Language is a reflection of your general uh, cognitive furniture. Every experience mm-hmm. you have from the moment you come home to a, uh, to the hospital, to the day, uh, mm-hmm. from the hospital to the day you go to school and take a test, builds language proficiency. So affluent kids are having exper- rich experiences that build background yep. knowledge yep. in all these things you were just describing. And yes, they are more likely to have parents that read to them. They're more likely to grow up with books in the home. They are ba- language it tilts in their favor, period, mm-hmm. full stop. Yep. If you're a less affluent kid, you just don't have those structural advantages. Well, look, which means we've either got to try to find a way to help more low-income kids get to have cool experiences in the summer, or we got to keep the schools open in the summer, which of course is happening in, in places around the country and some of the best charter schools that just simply say, look, uh, we, we cannot take a two and a half months off yeah. if you're talking about low-income kids where, where look, they, they've, you know, overall, low-income kids make a lot of progress over the course of 180 days in the school year, Mm -hmm. and then it stops, right? And uh, so let's not stop it. Let's keep yeah, it going. But I love your idea of what is it called? Ed- Enrichment, Enrichment Savings, savings accounts. accounts. You don't even have to Stay change tuned, it. Folks. You can still call it an ESA. An ESA. Isn't that brilliant? There you go. All right. That is all the time we've got for Pardon the Gadfly. Now it is time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. <laughs> Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You, you've been following the European Cup soccer by any I chance? I have not. <laughs> uh, surprised. But did you, you hear about the, the Iceland? Iceland made it I to the next round. It's very exciting. Didn't say that either. Uh, so sorry. We didn't have a different segue. I guess we're in a different niche <laughs> uh, of, of the NBA, pop and sports culture, the right NFL. Now. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so I thought you were going to ask about Brexit, which uh, I thought was first one. Victoria said I thought she said breakfast, and clearly I was like, I need to check Google News because I am already behind on the breakfast. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm caught up now. So. You're caught up now. Yes. All right. Very yeah. good. Okay, Amber, what you got for uh, us? We have a new report out by the Center for Reinventing Public Education. It's a case study called Grappling with Discipline in Autonomous Schools. Mm-hmm. It examines the cities of D.C. and New Orleans and how they're approaching discipline mm-hmm. so that suspensions and expulsions are, quote, more appropriately and fairly applied while still respecting schools' autonomy. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Report describes how DC sole authorizer, the DC Public Tools Charter School Board, or the PCSB, was interested in reducing charters out of suspension, out of school suspension and expulsions, likely in the wake of you know all these accusations that they're suspending or expelling students unfairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a lot of you guys know about the political mm-hmm. uh, politics mm-hmm. around this, so we don't have to go into that right now. So, in partnership with DCPS and other city leaders, they decided to release school equity reports that document school level data on suspensions expulsion, student exit, and mid-year enrollment. They found that between 2012 and 2015, the average suspension rates across all city schools dropped from 12 to 10 percent, and suspensions for students with special needs fell from 23 to 19 percent. They don't have reliable baseline data before then, by the way. Comparing comparable schools during 2012 to 2014, Additional analyses show that the citywide declines in these short-term suspension rates, meaning less than 10 days, mm-hmm. were mostly driven by the charter schools. The suspension rates in the charter schools declined by about three percentage points relative to these comparable wait, wait, schools. Wait, you're saying the charter schools suspended more kids than public schools? They were No, no. The declines right. in the okay. were mostly driven by the charter schools, um, which is notable because they started with a higher average suspension rate than the traditional there schools to begin with. Okay, And charters also showed a significant decline in the suspension rate of black students. Okay. Uh, in addition to the school equity reports, and I can talk about this as a side note because my little charter school has going through some of this stuff. But anyway, the PCSB includes discipline data in its oversight of charters, even mm-hmm. though it's not in the mm-hmm. charter performance management framework, which is like the dashboard that charter schools are held accountable to. Yep. It's like this other thing that they're monitoring. Okay. Moving on real quickly to New Orleans, because it also includes New Orleans. Uh, the RSD there started a centralized expulsion program. Maybe you guys have heard about this. Mm-hmm. Um, to which all the city schools either voluntarily or or not voluntarily, joined eventually. Um, It requires schools to use a common criteria for expelling students, um, but they still control how they handle suspensions, okay? And they have to use the same process for a student hearing with the potential expulsion. And students must also receive instruction during the time they're expelled and they have, they get help re-enrolling. Okay. Okay. That's basically the NOLA um, thing. The RSD, this is kind of interesting. They're in charge of finding a placement after the hearing, okay, for the kid. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, guess what they did? Created a new school for this? <laughs> Try three more new schools for uh, three new alternative schools they yeah. created yeah. Uh, in the wake of this. Anyway, numbers are really hard to quantify because the pre-baseline were from OCR, which nobody trusts. And, mm-hmm. and the and, and SERP even says nobody trusts this data. So um, this is difficult. But anyway, during the small period they were able to, mm-hmm. to examine, they found that there were declines of 3.8 expulsions per thousand students to about 2.4 per thousand mm-hmm. in the last three years. Okay. So anyway, they. I, I mean, I just felt like there was some credence given to this thing that we talk about here, which is the loss of autonomy. Right. Um, but it really seemed like um, there was a little bit more attention in the report paid to, you know, that these are good ideas because, quote, community leaders rightly feel that these schools must assume equal responsibility for serving all students. And I thought, hmm. So we're running the risk, obviously we can talk about this, but running the list if we homogenize all these charter schools, right? right. Then. Mm-hmm. We kind of already have that going on with district schools, and this is why we thought we were creating charter schools mm-hmm. in the first place. And is there that's any exactly what, what Robert and I were talking about yes. uh, previously. Right, right, right. Uh, absolutely. Is there any attention being paid to how the effect on academics when you create uh, a, an yeah, environment not, that might be a little bit less uh, no, structured no, normally? That was not covered in this report. Okay. We we're not looking at that. And I actually was a little bit dismayed at not bringing up, you know, some of the literature. I mean, I know it's mixed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't too much attention paid to that 
particular question. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated question, but yes. keep in mind, when I read these reports, I feel like schools or people perceive that schools just suspend kids because they like to suspend kids. No, of course not. You suspend yeah. kids for a reason. Yeah. And that always gets lost in reports. Like you know, and look, the, the New Orleans approach I, I find reasonable because, uh, first of all, New Orleans charters now have taken over most of the system. That's Second right. of all, you're talking about expulsion. That's kind of a special case. That's sure. a big mm-hmm. deal. You're it's kicking a, a kid out. Uh, and, and you you know, if you have a system where we don't want to have selective schools, then yeah, it's important that schools can't just push kids out. Mm-hmm. And so having a hearing uh, is fine. And by the way, creating alternative placements, alternative yeah. schools, that's great Fun. too. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. DC, I feel like is a little different. I mean, you do hear from some charters in DC uh, <laughs> that uh, that the, the authorizer has gotten quite heavy handed with this. Ooh, yes. right. And right. And that they do look at if, if your numbers are too high, they're really going right. to be you're pushing an outlier. You. Right. You're an outlier. And you got to be called in for a board to board meeting if you're an outlier, by a the way. Board to board meeting, meeting right? Like a little slap on the wrist. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. what are you doing over there? And, yeah. and again, there may be, it could be a school says, look, you know, I mean, even Moskowitz has said this, that they, they tend to suspend a lot of kids, you know, in the fall when they first come into school to make it very clear what the expectations are and almost all the time those kids end up doing great yes. you know the family and the kid gets the message yeah i think you have to treat that's a great point because i think you have to treat a new school and a mature school differently on yeah. this point and and you don't hear that a lot like i yeah. really do think it's important you send the message early yeah yep. um and they get it right and it sets a precedence for Creating the cohorts the that comes after that yeah. and it does as part of the setting of the culture and, and that, that gets lost yeah. in some of this um, yeah no know. of course and, and look and, and again this week john king saying we we've got to look at this as charter leaders. Of course, this is a nuanced issue. I'm not coming in with hard and fast rules. I'm like, hello, yes, Secretary yes, yes, King, you are. go check out your office for civil rights. Right. There right. are some right. very clear and fast right. rules right. there. And yeah. just by bringing it up, you know, you're putting it on the agenda. So yeah. Uh, well, look, I, yeah. you know, we, we love the, our friends at, at SERPI. I think we don't quite see eye to eye on the discipline thing. I know that they feel uh, that we have uh, been an impediment uh, to, in, in this case, mm-hmm. to the argument that we need to reform school discipline. Look, I, I feel like this is where we have to play a role as a in a very traditionally small C conservative way, uh, standing athwart history, yelling stop uh, and saying, look, let us be careful. You know, okay, if we're going to question if these charter schools are doing discipline the right way, mm-hmm. let us be awfully sure uh, that we do not end up uh, ruining this thing that uh, is working for so many kids and by the way is popular yep. with parents with parents thank you That's right, right. and, and let's make discusses. sure that we're not just focused on the kids who are disruptive but also on their peers right. and if they're not if the disruptors aren't being suspended, are their peers learning less? I mean, these are the things we right. got to focus on. And I don't know when, when you look into it, it's so complicated. I'm just like, look, I, I just want to, I want to give these charter schools, especially if they're getting good results, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Right. Uh, look, I'd say the same thing for district schools. You know, you well, that's right. Have a yeah. neat, orderly, well-run school. You're not, I, and, and not a lot of learning is going to go on. Here, which I thought was a good point, was kind of buried a little bit. But the fact that if a parent sees a school has high suspension or expulsion rates, that may they may say that's a good thing exactly. because that's a I'm going to not tolerate yep. a discipline lack of discipline in, mm-hmm. in, in that environment. That's you know, in a disruption-free right. zone. Right. Yep. So, but you know, Hillary Clinton's platform is going to have language about the school-to-prison pipeline. Yeah. Uh, so here we this go. Is, this just infuriates me. I've said this over go. and over. If you are an affluent uh, white kid in this country, you get a disruption-free education. Yep. Full stop. And why is this only a problem when we try to do this for kids of color? All right. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. 
I'm Robert Pantasio. Oh, and I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.